Dance to Fight Colonialism. In honor of RRR being back in theaters for a little this weekend, what's your dream for how they perform Not To Not To at the Oscars? Also in honor of the announcement that they would perform it at the Oscars, which I don't think any of us doubted, but, you know, they saved a release for it. Uh, Hello, I'm Katie Rich. Uh, I think they need to drop a plexiglass screen uh, between the stage and the audience so that they can cover the entire stage in the dust, the very important dust that ends that sequence. Uh, I am Matt Patches, and I was excited to see that the actual singers, not the actors, are going to be performing the song at at the Oscars. Logical. Why wouldn't you get the the actual people who recorded the track? But I also think at the performance, everybody else who is uh, nominated in the song category this year should participate in the Natu Natu dance. Oh my God. So pregnant Rihanna, David Byrne, Lady Gaga, <laughs> and of course, Diane Warren should also be up there. And last man standing, just like in the movie, uh, that's who should win the Oscar. That's who Diane gets the Oscar. Diane Warren's going to win that Oscar. You don't don't underestimate this woman. <laughs> <laughs> she will out not to all of you. Hey, it's me, David the Seven, and I think it should open the show and take place offsite, like the Beyonce performance, uh, so there could be over a hundred dancers not toing all together. Don't forget the Academy Museum has that big roof that they performed on in the COVID year, perfect for dust and not to not to. Yeah, big dusty roof dance. Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Fine, I can hear you now, Dimitri. Clear and plain and coming through fine. I'm coming through fine too, eh? Good, then. Well, then, as you say, we're both coming through fine. Good. Well, it's good that you're fine and and I'm fine. I agree with you. It's great to be fine. It's It's a podcast. podcast. Hello and welcome to Fighting in the War Room. It's episode 424.5. Just realize that it's going to be many. This quarter pandemic one sixty four twenty four point five. What is this system that we've created here? We're going to create our own Dewey Decimal System. Oh, let's say this is the library. I, I'm confused the fact again. that we're still counting our episode numbers makes no sense. I, I would be interested to know if listeners care about it one way or another. But here we are, uh, three years into a pandemic and four hundred and twenty four point five episodes uh. into this podcast. Uh, <laughs> it's the week of week week of Wednesday, March first. That's the day that in nineteen ninety eight, Titanic became the first movie to have a billion dollar box office take on its initial run. That wow. is uh, global. Uh, soon to be overtaken by Lost in Space at the box office, I believe. Famously, the movie that That's knocked right. Titanic off its perch. Everyone obviously knows this. Very old man spider. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, what? I have a whole shirt uh, based on that line where William Hurt uh, tells the guy from Friends to go through the planet that says go through the thing and it has a little rocket going through the O. Lost in Space that. feels like the only movie that has not been reconsidered. You know, like every movie gets its maybe this is actually good moment but i feel like lost in space not not oh it just shows you're not part of my patreon uh patches because we definitely <laughs> made definitely a pandemic not. point of rewatching lost of space wow. and being like you know what outside of spider oldman and uh the t- lacy chabert's pet this this is pretty good you guys are uh, in a time bubble uh a la lost in space the movie if i recall I, correctly is that what they're in they're in some sort of bubble uh, it's like some sort of like dilation, yes. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, we're all in a time bubble. Wow. It's been Deep. it's been a weird week. Today, it's as been... we're recording this, is the 40th anniversary of the Mash finale and the 15th anniversary of the Constant, the Lost episode. Wow, we're all old. Uh, well, we're not Mash old. Lost no, we're not Mash old. Lost in Space uh, overtook Titanic uh, April 3rd weekend, which is just crazy. Uh, and I realize I'm kind of burning a potential segment, but maybe we can get into it anyway, because uh, Charlie, a six-year-old who went and saw Titanic, watched Men in Black, 
uh, over the weekend while being sick and was into it. And uh, our friend David Sims was telling me that maybe Lost in Space was the one I should show him next in a similar like sci-fi family-ish friendly of a certain age. Has he, uh, has he seen the Adams Family movies? Those seem. No, like I was a thinking about those too. Like he's very not like a like canon. Yeah, when we talked about those on this podcast, like last year-ish, um, he's not like a spooky kid, but I don't know. I thought about that too. I was uh, telling him about the hand that walks around by itself. So anyway, uh, further Charlie. You know what you got? You know what you got to show uh, your your boy. Um, I feel like there was a stretch in the early two thousands of Nickelodeon sci-fi movies, and we'll we'll talk a bit about Star Trek on this episode later. But our man Jonathan Frakes directed clock stoppers and i feel like this is a movie that does not get its due and he also directed the thunderbirds live action movie both of these are unheralded like childhood movies i think you should I sh- these movies would play today clock stoppers you go around, bounce around time fun i could watch clock stoppers on paramount plus I'm glad there are now replacements for Swiss Family Robinson and Time Bandits, as you're telling me, because those are what I grew up with. And, you know, some of those things didn't age so well. So I'm glad we replaced that the, that cinematic experience for youngsters. Uh, well, guess what? While we're talking about kids seeing movies, we don't have any uh, U.S. reviews, which we are looking for you to give us five stars on the podcast app in Apple. That's where it helps us the most. But we also have an email, fitwr.podcast at gmail.com. We got one international review, which is one thing you could do. You could send your international review from another iTunes store to us. We'll read it aloud. But we also got an email called Titanic with Kids. And this is from Sarah. (laughs) Hi, Fitware folks. I'm catching up on last week's episode and wanted to share a Titanic story. I teach Hebrew school to an adorable group of first graders. A couple of weeks ago, one boy came in with a tiny 3D printed Titanic he had made. He was showing it to me and pointed (laughs) to the railing and he said, that's where Rose died. I was totally unprepared for a six-year-old referencing Titanic. Rose didn't die also. What's going on? (laughs) But after my first moment of surprise, I gently reminded him that Rose didn't die on the ship, to which he said, oh yeah, and then proceeded to tell me the story of the movie ending with Jack's death. So I just wanted you all to know that parents are definitely showing Titanics to the six-year-old kids. And based on anecdotal evidence, the six-year-olds are loving it. Oh Maybe that's God. where yeah, Rose must. died spiritually, you know, and this no, kid was coming to Hebrew long, class. She lived a long and a rich life, as, as evidenced by all those pictures. Was it the back of the ship where she tried to think about committing suicide? It was, yes, it was, the, yes. it was the bow where she, uh, yeah. I, you know, and that, that part of the movie, I really kind of had to gloss over. I wasn't really sure how to get into that with the kids. Maybe way more than the boobs, honestly. It's like... Listen, you're a little young for this, but people shouldn't be forced to marry other people. You'll see a lot of this in childhood fiction for some reason. But yeah, uh, Sarah continues. You're all the best. Uh, Fitware has been my favorite podcast wow. since since before. It was even called Fitware. Wow. Looking forward to listening every week. Yay, we didn't irk Sarah off by with our <laughs> weird exclusionary personality. Yeah, I've been wondering how these uh, mini segments have been going lately, so no one's really been upset. The uh, the engagement we... on Twitter has been pretty strong. Like, people seem very eager. I don't know if that's eager... where we want engagement these days, but sure. I don't know either, but, like, it's it's all very friendly. Like, people seem yes, eager to talk to us in a way that they weren't, you know, I think, yeah, I'm, I, I like that. Okay people that were very it. seen by pooping, and then Mr. Skin followed us on Twitter, so it's two for two. Yes, thank you, Mr. Skin. <laughs> Uh, this next one comes from uh, somebody who signs their email, Gbegs. 
said, hi, Fitware gang, multi-year listener here. I actually already reviewed the show in the before times, December 2019, I think. I was excited to hear my review read on the show, but sadly it never was. Sad face. Oh no. I've included my original review here in case you want to read it now and as penance for the misdeed, I'm going to make you read a personal shout out to my friends. When I wrote this painfully of its time review, my friends Anthony and Abby had just gotten engaged. Now, of, of, now, as of last week, they're parents. Hey! So welcome to the world, baby M. You're lucky enough to have the best parents, even better than Laura Dern and Bob Odenkirk in the acclaimed 2019 masterpiece <laughs> Little Women, which we all saw, saw together. And here's the email. We're going to make up. We're going to do a make good. Here we go. Five stars. Extremely 2019. Hey guys, the world's looking bright. <laughs> Can't wait to spend a lot of time indoors with my family this summer. I am Prince. going on a round the world balloon trip, and surely everything will be fine when I land. I mean, the balloon trip, I thought it would have been a good way to travel back That's then. True. Uh, the review's titled Little Gold Men Brought Me Here, heart emoji, and it is five stars. It says, Started listening after being a longtime Little Gold Men listener, and my friend Anthony recommended it. Hi, Fro, the Irishman is trash, and you can't and can't get enough. I like that y'all aren't afraid to disagree with each other and that it's much less formal than Little Gold Men. Lastly, I have a question for the hosts. In light of all the marriage story discourse, is Adam Driver hot or is he just tall? Thanks. <laughs> I, that, that really made me happy. I'm glad it who, was firmly 2019. Who could have seen that uh, that review of Dwight getting read when Adam Driver is about to star in a dinosaur movie where he goes yeah. back in time and fights dinosaurs? Adam Driver didn't even know at that point. <sighs> I don't want to spoil 65, which I have seen, and I'm excited to share some thoughts with you all eventually, but beep, I'm going to censor myself here. I felt like this is maybe safe to say, because it's not a big deal, because it's a movie about Adam Driver killing dinosaurs, but a little twist. I don't know. I don't want to spoil anything. Take this part out. Uh, Adam Driver is hot, right? He's a very attractive man. How is this a question? I recently watched, uh, what was that goddamn... um, that rom-com, Canadian rom-com he made with Dan Radcliffe. Oh, and uh, the F word. And, but they yeah. changed it no, to what if? That. Yeah, what if. And it's him um, and Mackenzie Davis who get paired up, right? It, yes. It, this is yeah. pretty early in his career. And he is laugh out loud. He's doing like the Seth Rogen buddy shtick in that yeah. movie. And he is hilarious. And that was the moment where I'm like, this man does it all. He's 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 hot because he's dimensional, right? And uh, attractive uh, in like the most objective way possible. Yeah. I mean, he's like, he's like not like the most conventionally like handsome guy. Like he wasn't going to be booking modeling. Other really? maybe he was a model, honestly. Like he's not, he wasn't going to be an Abercrombie and Fitch wear, model. Yes, he could. You know? He could wear sweaters in a magazine. No, he he's got all those like weird planes on his face. No, I, I also think he is hot, but he's not like <laughs> Abercrombie and Fitch model. No, he has that flowing know. hair. He looks very. No, he's got beautiful hair. Uh, I saw. Ready. I saw in the tabloids that he and his wife seem to be expecting another baby, which really uh, helped me click into place why he made in 65. <laughs> like, why we're in the oh, wow. dinos- fighting dinosaurs phase of his career, because, you know, gotta pay for a kid to go to school in New York City. Talked to him this week. Well, I, I oh, how, how you saw the tabloid photos of his wife? Uh, I would not recommend that. Yeah, that's how I like to start conversations with people mm-hmm. I don't know. Uh, actually, yep. I Googled so him. So your wife's pregnant. Yeah. Hi, I'm Matt Patches. <laughs> <laughs> I, I Googled him and it got a different tabloid hit. That's interesting that you mentioned that his wife is pregnant because right now he's also being dragged through the mud for his wife's mother was associated with a cult of some sort. Oh. Um, and I felt like that would not be what I lead with when I talk to Adam Driver about 65, the dinosaur killing movie. Um, no, I feel like you can. there's a lot of else you can get into. 
Yeah. You I should only say, talk to him about the N64 classic Turok Dinosaur Hunter. I would I would love to talk about Turok Dinosaur Hunter. Especially the sequel where there, there is more of a sci-fi, like they're in space. Uh, yes, yes. He jets off to space for a little while and then gets zapped back down to fight kind of dinosaurs. They're more hybrids. I don't know. That, that sequel was spooky. Um, anyway, 65 definitely has Adam Driver killing dinosaurs. I don't want to muck it up with twists or anything. And it's pretty straightforward. He fights dinosaurs with guns. And it's... Uh, do you think people are missing the parts of the show where David would be like, okay, okay, I got to go to bed. Let's move on. <laughs> I mean, I maybe or would talk for 15 minutes and not let anybody else talk. Like, it's really people a People love play. that. I, don't, I think we are fighting a losing battle here. We're missing a, a team a team member. Look, we're out of whack. Ryan people, David will be back. He'll be it back. It'll be as if he was never gone someday. The critical until, foundation. Until then, we will not reach episode 425. So <laughs> no, I mean, I, watch those decimals. My expectations is we'll drag him back from leave to do a quarter quell and maybe he'll leave. I don't know. We should probably run that by David. Let me get past well, the Oscars can, first. You could email us uh, thoughts on the mini segment, uh, reviews that we forgot to read at fitwr.podcast at gmail.com. And you could leave us reviews on the Apple Podcast app. There we will definitely see it first uh, most of the time. And uh, yeah, that's that's where it helps other people find the show. All right. Uh, as alluded to in the the opening of the show, we've uh, with David gone. We've been doing some segments. We've been working kind of blue. I don't know. We've been kind of going off course and I want us to come back. I want to be refined. I want us to talk about cinema again and, and not get so dirty and gross. And, and let's, let's button up here. I want to talk about a film called Babylon. Uh, we haven't talked about it. it. Came out in December, kind of bombed. Uh, let's say it bombed. <laughs> and, I think um, it's finally bombed him. Yeah. It's finally on Paramount plus. And we have to talk about this film because, again, this is this is a prestige picture. It opens with an elephant taking a diuretic <laughs> shit on the camera, um, and it goes. It really camera. pops off from there. Uh, let's talk about Babylon. Uh, this movie did not play well for some critics and other people. There is a cult of Babylon. I don't know if people have seen this in the social yes. media spheres that we are in, but there is I'm like a Zack Snyder esque. Yeah, yeah. There is a Snyder esque cult around Babylon. Oh my where god! If you tweet about Babylon, there are oh just flooding god. people who will be like, "This is cinema." Why did people get this movie when it came out? Um, and I don't know how many pe people of the are, are real or like what if this is a large the movement. But there are Babylon stands. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> but like, why Babylon? Why didn't it work? What happened here? And why are people going so hard for it now? Where do we all fall in, in Babylon? Damien Chazelle. Yeah. From La La Land. First Man, which I know a few of us here uh, enjoy. First Man. Uh, whiplash fame. This guy went out and made a, a, a big early Hollywood transitioning from silence to talkies epic. It's three hours long. It's got Brad Pitt and Margot Robbie, kind of a newcomer, Diego Calva. He's at the center of this movie. He wants to become, break into Hollywood. Uh, he's kind of like a jack of all trades. I think he's a migrant worker at the beginning where he's he's uh, involved. Uh, he's not like working in a like, field. He's just like he's doing a job for the rich guy just, who's running the party. 
Exactly. He's 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 a Mexican immigrant who's just like trying to break in. He wants to be part of Hollywood. And at this stage, in the very beginning of the movie, he's pushing an elephant up a hill and the elephant is taking an enormous shit on him. Turns out the elephant needs to go to a party where everyone is doing cocaine and peeing on each other and doing more cocaine and dancing. And this is how Babylon start like Chazelle's whole thing is I'm going to pull back the curtain on what. Hollywood was really like in the early Although, 20th century. I think many even he would admit that right. like, it was, it, it is a, a deliberately fantastical version. A little bit of, of an that. embellishment. Um, yeah. But there are so many threads to this movie. So much is going on. It has a zany tone. At times it's like the Coen brothers. At other times it's, uh, I don't even know. Like he's, it's himself. It's like doing La La Land, but with a whiplash tone what what did you make of babylon why did this movie not play for the masses when it's damien chazelle doing big hollywood picture making i mean i think my simplest answer is that it starts there and then it kind of doesn't have anywhere to go and i think there's a lot of really good stuff that happens after that crazy party sequence especially the one that's almost immediately after it where it's the first day on set for margot robbie's character and you're watching all of these silent films kind of filming next to each other and it's absolute chaos on the set brad pitt's making this giant war movie someone dies in the middle of trying to make it um the pace of it the freneticness of it really works um but then you're kind of watching everyone struggling to adapt with the arrival of the sound era and if uh, you know singing in the rain plays a role much later which you've probably heard about um and you're kind of trying to watch every like their whole like beautiful dream fall apart in a very boogie nights goodfellas kind of way but because it has started off so insane and off-putting and like dangerous from the very beginning that when you get to something like toby mcguire's weird sex dungeon even though like that is objectively oh, yeah, we didn't mention that. worse than the party at the beginning it's still not different enough and you've it's, not it's, a, it's just it's, a sex dungeon aren't people like fighting each other too yeah, like it's a fight club it's a sex well. dungeon it's everything you can imagine in hell there, there's <laughs> just like, like, he looks like the devil <laughs> you're forced into yeah it, there's an exhausting thing that sets it and like i think it probably deliberately exhausting but it doesn't feel like it's taken you anywhere and it really doesn't feel like it kind of hammers this idea of an industry that was changed like they had this beautiful thing with making silent films i mean the the day the, the scene where margot robbie's like in, in her first sound film it's a disaster that i think gets it across really effectively but like there's probably an hour and a half left in the movie after that point um i mean calling it excessive i think is kind of reductive and and also again that was the point but like it's it's exhausting by the end of it and it doesn't give you the feeling i think it wants to it's weirdly structured uh sort of like la la land and i guess a little bit like wish whiplash i didn't see the first man so i don't know if the first man has a uh damien chazelle is somewhat low-key obsessed with musicals and their structure uh format but this one has no, it has a guy and who's low-key obsessed with uh, other things that he he does people who are obsessed very well well, I think yeah. First Man it, still ends up having like is being like a musical movie almost where where the, the score is so important and the timing is so important. It has yeah, but Dave's talking about musical. like a musical like format well, of storytelling. Yeah, I'm talking about music so, is part of the DNA. J sure. Java's been watching uh, Gene Kelly movies, so I've okay, seen not like, that. Yeah, there've been like ten Gene Kelly movies playing in my house as I've been walking around over the past week. And they will occasionally just have scenes to do whatever it is that scene's going to do. Awesome dance number, cool camera move, whatever. And the story morphs around the necessity of having that scene. That's what I feel about the second half of Babylon is once sound arrives, we have done far too little, I think, to actually establish what most of the characters have on the line, except Margot Robbie's character. I think she's pretty well explored uh, the problem is is it doesn't come off different enough from 
uh, her Harlequin to me. Harley she's really Quinn stuck to in me. This, this like imitation she's doing this early twentieth century well, vaudeville shtick that I also, comes from. I Harley also Quinn. believe. I also believe it's partially her. Like you know when she was coming out of uh, uh, Wolf, Wolf of Wall Street and uh, was like this you know new jersey girl that david could talk to about the rangers like that seemed very genuine and this isn't that far from that it's just several decades off of that so it's all very electrifying and i like that part um but then about halfway through the movie sound comes in and it become it devolves almost into like a series of skits Mm -hmm. like i know immediately where these characters are going to end up because the movie is not uh subtle about telegraphing that they're all on a on a downfall um so it makes the you know the final half final hour maybe a little bit more of the movie uh not as frenetic and it doesn't have a lot to base things on because in the first half of the movie you are dazzled by like maybe hollywood was like this or like holy fuck that's a lot of extras or all of these people are very physically attractive like anything any number of those things i think are valid because the movie is presenting those but I don't know if it knows what it's saying outside of just the presentation. Yeah. Like, it's not emotional. Like, I didn't get no. emotional on, at any moment. There was no poignancy revelation. I mean, I mentioned the Manny character played by Diego Cava, yeah. who, who yeah. opens the film. He ends the film. It's, it's really his journey, yeah. even though there are all lots of side characters. We, we do get spend a lot of time with Margot Robbie and, and her trying to break in and then trying to get out in one piece um but like even when i mentioned like where's manny coming from he's doing odd jobs the migrant worker like maybe yeah that's probably the wrong description uh but he, i just don't know him like where is he coming from he, he has no life lived he just wants to be part of hollywood they're all pawns in this game it's it and and there's no value to their characters essentially like i believe him playing this part in kind of the uphill battle literally uphill uh in the first few scenes but there's like the the rigmarole of hey I gotta run and help these people or I gotta break in I got oh now I'm gonna sell a picture I'm I've I have a vision for making movies now I'm gonna sell my soul to the devil literally Tom McGuire to try and do it it's all it's all just stuff that is happening but then I gotta give it some credit this movie is like a Monty Python sketch movie the more <laughs> I thought think about it as that as just like what if I just had people doing drugs what if we had Spike Jones being a German filmmaker being like, ah, we have to f- have to get the sun in the he right is, place. <laughs> he is amazing in that. Scene. Uh, he's great. Uh, and that, and, and I'm like, yeah, get the guy from Jackass, get Spike Jones to, to like do shtick. Uh, it is a co- and literally Margot Robbie has a vomiting scene straight out of Monty Python, the meaning of life. Like this is a Python sketch movie. And the more I thought about that and the less I was like waiting for it to captivate me and waiting for it to like make an emotional point the more i enjoyed it i have seen the movie twice now and i bet this movie plays like gangbusters at home on paramount Mm -hmm. plus as opposed to being trapped in like a theater trying to endure it all it is an endurance test um and but it's and it's there's a lot of craft behind it too like there's a lot of thought put into it oh yeah yeah I mean, uh, but like both this and Elvis are movies that I will watch the first 45 minutes of and be like, yeah, that was a movie, but then like not want to get. <laughs> yeah. This movie the rest is of it missing again. Tom Hanks doing whatever he's doing in Elvis. It I would think be Tom right McGuire and Tom Hanks are really <laughs> uh, arm in arm there. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, like Babylon also has like moments where I, I think 
it, it is really funny, but it does sort of go crass for the sake of being crass. Uh, which is, you know, elephant shit and Margot Robbie saying they're gonna, you know, burn her pussy off with acid, and it's just like, mm -hmm. those are funny word collections, but when I'm presented <laughs> in them, uh, they're like, you know, sort of different things, I'm not exactly sure how to take them. I, I think there's definitely a good movie in Babylon. Oh, definitely. But Patches, I like the idea of like a sketch show set up and trying to review it through that. I wouldn't mind if this was Manny saw Singing in the Rain and made up his life. Mm. Because at the end of the movie, when he actually goes to watch Singing in the Rain, like while the movie was doing Singing in the Rain Expos, specifically the Brad Pitt character realizing he can't make the sound because he says, I love you too much. Mm. Um, and that going to back to the very memorable Singing in the Rain scene. I was like, this is just got to be homage. So the fact that it popped up legitimately at the end and me recognizing it singing in the rain in the movie was supposed to substitute for the main character's catharsis uh -huh. is really sort of where it fell apart for me. I would have appreciated maybe a bookend or something that so you could start off quieter and end quieter and then just let it be elephant shit and snake bites all in the middle. Like I could have felt that. But the movie, instead of doing that towards the end, ramps up to like a nonsense montage. Oh, and that's right. how it decides to end itself. Yeah, we're going to talk about we, the montage. We are okay. Well, if you haven't I, seen the movie, we're going to briefly discuss the end, the very end so. of the movie, which Although is I also want to talk about not the a spoiler, party, but, but you know, I think. I mean, I think if you've heard about uh, Babylon, you've heard that Avatar makes an appearance in yes, Babylon. Yes, the Navi are in the movie. Thankfully. I love that montage. I love how it goes up into the present and then ends with just like the basic like colors of Technicolor washing over it, like the the building blocks of what film is. There's something so audacious and crazy about that that really matches the audacity of those early parties. Like that right. filmmaking mm. itself can be as kind of uninhibited as that was. Even yeah, the if movie is so losing control of itself. It. Yeah, I re and like I think that was more effective as a way of getting at like the possibilities of film than the snake party where I felt like I cannot with this movie anymore. I cannot abide watching these people do the same thing over and over and over again. Like it kind of <laughs> right. stops feeling daring because it's repeating itself so much. And then that montage really breaks free into something totally different. Do you think, Interesting. do you think though that like Manny being a Mexican immigrant, like his role with all these white people, debaucherous white people, like, is it a can of worms that the movie opens and can't like make work? I just don't think it, it interrogates it enough. It's like almost too interesting to be part of this movie. Um, and that's what ultimately breaks it. Like it, it only could just be like comedy and weirdness and uh, maybe not about so much, but like Manny's arc is almost too interesting to for this movie to to thread through all the silliness that it, that it has. It's unfortunate. I feel like well, I, I guess I'm rooting for Diego Calva now that he should have been, <laughs> had more important things to do in this movie or in this opportunity. Well, I think that a lot of um, the tone of the I think Brad Pitt's pretty good in it and his character works. But like the tone in that scene with Gene Smart, where she's like, you will dance on screen as a ghost. Like, <laughs> I think the cynicism of the movie doesn't really match that. Like it toggles back into being like, ah, oh, but there's magic in this at the end. And I don't think it earns it um i think the montage is much more effectively being like there's just like crazy shit you can do with a camera and aren't movies amazing more than the like golden age of hollywood sentimentality of that scene and i think manny's character like the idea of his like very pure love for nelly i'm like i don't 
really buy that. Like, no. they seem like strivers who are much more interested in their career than each other. Yeah, weirdly too Hollywood for where the movie is going. Yeah, I mean, the, like, once the... they, like, decide to, like, get married and run away, I was just like, no, you're not. Like, that, that's not a <laughs> but thing nothing you is believable. to do. Nothing is grounded. It's, it doesn't, <laughs> nothing makes sense. Uh, but yeah. yeah, whenever it becomes too human, the, the facade breaks down and it's like oh we we see what you're trying to do you're now trying to tug our heartstrings or you're now trying to create drama in a in a vacuum like where it could not exist uh because you're just playing games. except the trumpeter episode mm. and what happens to him yeah was one of my favorite parts of the movie where it did manage to be serious and keep its pace up uh i think that really worked out you're talking yeah, about now that you're uh the the character played by uh jovan jovan adepo yeah jovan yes, okay. yes i don't know i made that no. it might be being a passage right I'm now right. and pronouncing it um, wrong yeah please, he please be, he starts off up. as a band leader and becomes a band leader for the short musical cinema things that came around with the beginning of sound and he has an arc in the movie that i think could i mean it is everybody's arc in the movie but because he's black and because his arc gets to be contextualized within that, uh, I think it really hits home as maybe the most efficient one in the film. Besides Olivia Wilde, who gets dumped and drives away in the middle of the movie, <laughs> at the beginning of the movie. Well, he gets to choose but, uh, to leave Hollywood behind and go do something else. This was the same thing that the um, uh, Lady Feijou. Um, oh, 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 yeah, yeah. The yeah. anime Wong character who like went and worked in Europe in real life. And I think that's basically what she did as well. Like they kind of get to like reject all of it. Whereas Nelly like can't find anything else and, and cracks up. Yeah, and all those are good yeah. movies just inside Babylon. Uh -huh. <laughs> which yeah. is just yeah. a little sketch. A typhoon of cinema. Yeah. Uh, it's the parrot sketch, but we actually get to see him buy the parrot. It's that's how long Babylon is. Oh man. I mean, I think watching on Paramount Plus is a great idea. Especially like yes. if you just want to go watch until the end of that first day on set sequence just to see what it is, like go for it. You might get sucked in and watch the whole thing, but there are parts in this that like I really feel like demand to be seen. Oh yeah. You need to see Samara Weaving and Margot Robbie in the same scene together. Like we've all been waiting for it, and it finally happens. Yes, it created you, a black hole when they when they touched. Also, uh, Damien Chazelle's wife again. plays the director in that sequence, who's just like screaming at everybody on set, and she's great. And she is great. Of, yeah, I really made me want to see her in more stuff. And that that character disappears, and like maybe that's the totally. point. As does because everything. like yeah. a lot like the early female directors of the silent era just like faded away. Um, but it bummed me out. I want a whole Babylon. movie about her. Babylon. Babylon. There's something there. Watch There's it as a three-hour movie. Watch it as a three-night, hour-long miniseries. <laughs> it's now around on Paramount Plus to watch however you, you want. Become part of the cult of Babylon, if you dare. The cult of Babylon. He's turning to Tobey Maguire. They're beckoning me into a uh, basement. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we're going to talk about TV shows that we're liking, and uh, we already talked about Poker Face. Uh, continues to be good, and there's this episode with Nick Nolte making weird puppets, and uh, Cherry Jones as his uh, former partner. And like, I guess like a, it's supposed to be like Leica esque. I, think, I guess there's not really a specific no, no, animation no. studio. There, yes, there's a very specific animation. Here. Oh yeah, you're right because it's not all about like he's this making is all the handmade Studios. Stuff. This is what's Phil Tippett, Tippett Studios. 
Phil Tippett, who worked on Star Wars, who has a long history of, of animatronics and puppetry, uh, he put out a horror movie after years and years of working on it independently called Mad, Mad God. It's on Shudder. Um, and this is the weirdest thing that Poker Face could possibly reference, but Tippett worked on the episode, directed by Natasha Leone, I might add. Like, So she must be personally fascinated by this weird I guy. I think she wrote it studio. too, written and directed by Natasha Leone. And what a what a pleasure to see it. Like, no one understands. Uh, clearly, you don't need to understand the references here. No, I heard you guys call it the Nolte. Mad God episode, and I didn't understand why. And and this is why, because it is directly referencing it, and Tippett was involved with making all the weird puppets that appear in the episode. Yeah, Cherry Jones, fantastic. Uh, being an evil FX <laughs> company president. Just such a strange on-ramp for an, a mystery. Uh, but yeah, it's it's fun. This it's show is fun. Episode. The show is a blast. That Where episode are is so we? stylish. What episode are we on? Are we close to the finale of, of Poker Yeah, Base? we're definitely totally getting close. No spoilers, no spoilers, but uh, we're on the way. But I have a—it's still good to the very end. I have a theory about why this one hits different than the other poker faces, which I do enjoy. But I think this one's slightly different. When we were talking about poker face on our last podcast, I broke down sort of like the format. Mm -hmm. This is one that has more mysteries in the second half than most poker face episodes do. Most of these are like a how catch him sort of thing, but this one has a like entire mystery that needs to be revealed in the second half of the episode and another murder in the second half of the episode uh so i really appreciate that sort of pacing that it that it managed to do so i we went back to charlie i was like cool let's hang out and then suddenly charlie's part of the episode started popping off with danger and i'm like oh yes yeah this is this is what i need good show joseph well, gordon episode is coming up and it's uh another banger oh i'm so excited teasing uh dave what have you been watching there's so much television none of it's good though. yeah uh i mean i think a lot of it's good oh uh bob's burgers came out with its 250th episode last week uh which i think was kind of fun but it did start me thinking about uh if the simp once you pulled the domino out of the simpsons uh stack do all the Fox Sunday night animation shows crumble because they're all over 250 episodes now. Like the top five adult animated sitcoms are all Fox Sunday night shows and they're all things that either led into or came after the Simpsons. I mean, they all so got renewed for another two seasons. And oh yeah, the Simpsons, Simpsons is going to pass 800 episodes. The Simpsons is one of the biggest things that was viewed on Disney Plus last year. So I'm not sure it's going away. I, the big question that someone raised, I can't remember if it was on social media or something or in my private slack with people but we were like what happens when the cast starts dying on the simpsons kind of a morbid question Whoa. but like they're pretty old people are pretty like someone's mentioning harry oh, shear might not I mean, sound that, i don't think harry shear sounded 30 years ago um the fair. real question is when did they put ai contra uh, clauses in their contracts because yeah. i'm convinced they're already still there wow i, like, I would believe I it there's there's I mean, first of all, uh, they would have been really dumb to not have them in already. But second of all, they are negotiating. I believe they just finished negotiating for the, those new seasons. So they should have it because the answer is those people. The Simpsons voices are the Simpsons voices at this point. They will be AI before, you know, they would recap. They do whatever they're going to do with Rick and Morty. Wow. <laughs> 
Yeah, that's going to be a pretty wild question, but Simpsons is not slowing down. So hopefully that means Bob's Burgers will be on for a long time because it's probably more, it is more consistently good. More consistently? I don't know. Um, yes. It just is more consistent. It's just more consistent than The Simpsons. I, and I love The Simpsons. And uh, even some of the new stuff is good, but like every episode of Bob's Burgers is pretty good. Too great. And I'm I'm amazed that they're this far into it. And it's just, what did they do for the 250? I didn't see this. Um, a man who is rowing from, uh, New Zealand to Nova Scotia in a skull boat, uh, decides to stop at Bob's Burgers for a burger and hates being at the sea for as long as he did. So he decides he's not going to quit anymore, but there's already a reporter coming and Bob's freaked out that the story is going to be man has burger quits dream. And so they try to convince him to continue rowing. So th- just another episode. This is not no fanfare yeah, here. Yeah, okay. just, no, 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 no. I mean, it's it says 250th like on the title on Hulu or wherever you watch it, but it, it's not like a big, a big to do. Uh, and there isn't even a song. Uh, but that's not the one I want to talk about. The one I really want to talk about, and I won't talk about it for too long because if I've learned one thing, podcasting the past couple of years, people actually don't like podcasts about Star Trek. But I've been watching <laughs> Picard season three. And I am very much enjoying as somebody who last year Java discovered the next generation and went through all of 90s Trek in Whoa. like four months. And Wait, so, all of no- like next gen, DS9, Voyagers. Voyager. Voyager. Yes. Yeah. Space. Oh, yeah. DS9's her favorite uh, by far. We'll talk about this. And, in a uh, but um, now Picard is doing season three. And then, like the previous two seasons of Picard, which were fun with lore, uh, not the character, but Star, <laughs> Star Trek that. lore. Yeah. Uh, this third season uh, looks like showrunner Terry Matlas has assembled it to be a proper goodbye for the Next Generation crew. It's supposed to be the movie that they didn't get. Their last movie, of course, being Nemesis with Tom Hardy playing a Patrick Stewart clone. Uh, but yeah, I've been really enjoying uh, Star Trek or Picard season three. Or uh, AKA Next Generation Season 8, finally. And um, I've been very happy about what they've been able to do with it, just relying on the old cast. There was a scene in uh, Episode 2 where some very crucial information is uh, transmitted from Beverly Crusher to Jean-Luc Picard just by longing looks. And God damn it, trust the actors. I, I miss those guys. Jonathan Frakes is hilarious. Jonathan Frakes I can't is wait so till we good. get Jordy in there. Good, lots of Riker. Uh, it's gonna be fun. And Worf, uh, I love Worf. I will yeah, say, it just popped up. I mean, Patrick Stewart's getting real old, uh, and he, Picard is playing. This is not the Jean Luc of of Next Generation. He's probably the weak link, weirdly, in the in the show. But again, having the whole gang back, just the energy between him and Frakes as as Riker, like I am amazed that there are two seasons of Picard that I did not finish. I started each season <laughs> being like. Q is here. May, this will be it. And it was not it for me. Um, and Picard season three, I'm like dying to watch every episode. I'm, I'm ahead watching our screeners. Check my privilege there. But, and I won't spoil anything, but like it's get, it gets better. Like this episode this week, episode three, is a banger. It's really when it really exponentially grows in, in terms of the success of like reuniting all these people and, and getting the flicker of next gen back. It's really great uh but to follow java's lead i've also been watching ds9 for the first time it's not something i watched oh. um i watched it sporadically uh i 
Thank you, Pluto Television, uh, for having oh, a station keeping it on for the more Star Trek channel that doesn't play OL, uh original series. It only plays like DS9. And I was like, wow, I'm getting really hooked on this. It is. And I've started back from the beginning because it's all on Paramount Plus and it connects to Star Picard season three because Picard season three involves the Dominion War. Everybody, Katie, the Dominion War. Obviously, how do you have Katie, time for all of this? The Why Dominion War, so the Changelings. Uh, well, when your baby wakes up at 6 a.m., you turn on Pluto TV and watch DS9, mm -hmm. of course. Mm -hmm. And then when you're really sleepy <laughs> yeah. at night and need ASMR, you also watch DS9 because <laughs> the, the the generator, like the, the engine sounds put you to sleep. Um, but DS9 is, I, we won't, look, we could spend hours talking about it. But uh, this, I, I was thinking the other night, I'm like, you can go on Twitter and people can be mad about a billion things and screaming at each other. And it's all superficial, dumbass shittery. But then you can go watch an episode of DS9. It's like people really talking about deep stuff and like having issues and like, whoa, this episode's about xenophobia. <laughs> and like they're actually getting to the core of this shit um, and in an entertaining way. And you love the cast. And man, I'm falling hard for, for DS9, which I, you know, flirted with over the years and more of a next gen person. But uh, and I actually watched Voyager on UPN back in the day too but i never <laughs> i missed ds9 and now i'm going back and obviously it's a favorite of the fans and and they're right it's really spectacular um so yeah we're always I, talking about you, ways Dave, to but... keep ourselves off twitter but i don't think watching old star trek has ever come up ds9 is the answer yes yeah. if you want to feel like you're <laughs> engaging with the issues of today apparently they were getting them all done in the 90s uh with <laughs> captain cisco uh i will just fly through i want to mention that i'm watching I'm I'm watching a lot of like one or two episodes of things, just trying to get a taste of all the television that's on right now. There's no um, way you can. You can't be my done. My lunchtime my lunchtime show is Physical 100 on Netflix. Is anyone watching this reality show, South Korean reality competition show where they I've get heard just the strongest very people? Very good things about how positive it is. <laughs> yes, it's very positive. It's they get. I, I forget how many people. They, I I you know what? It's probably a hundred because it's Physical 100. Um, but they've gotten like a hundred people and. It's like bodybuilders, CrossFit people, but then it's like firefighters and people who would be bulky and like super strong and super fit from all around South Korea. And they just do absurd challenges like hang from a rope or carry sandbags. Um, and then people get eliminated, but they're rooting each other on. And yeah, it's very it's very like, oh, we want everyone to win. Oh, wow. He's so strong. I'm so impressed by his body. Um, and it's yeah, it's a different kind of. There's also the vibe not, of is the anti-squid game, and uh, you know, it's no one, uh, no one has in, in top physical shape. They just make great cakes that look like stuff. They make great cakes. I've never, yeah, <laughs> I don't want, I don't like people. Oh wait, is it cake? The shoe is it cake? They cut into the shoe. Oh, I uh -huh. thought, uh, yeah, I was thinking about it nailed cake? it. I can't watch nailed it. Too cringy. Oh. No, I'd be really but great on Nailed It. it. I've been convinced I should try out for Nailed It because I'm a, uh, <laughs> I am a fine baker and enthusiastic, but terrible decorator. But I feel fine about that level of skills. I think I could like make an edible cake that looked insane, and I could think I could win Nailed It. I don't want. I want you to make a nice cake. I mean, um, I can make a decent cake, but if you told me to like make a cake shaped like a dog and give me forty five minutes to do it, it's gonna look bonkers. Also, <laughs> you're reminding me that the show that I've been watching with my kids lately is the Great junior bake-off um, which is on netflix and we like watching 10 year olds who can cook spectacular baked goods i'm I'm, hmm. I'm impressed by these children who know how much flour to put in the bowl or whatever um the the one last thing i wanted to mention was how are we watching party down are we did we return to party down were we party I watched down the first people episode before are we party down people i now? have never I, seen a minute of party down what the 
I didn't have the stars best... in whenever oh, it was on. I, no, you had party down box sets that your, yeah. your roommates owned. Uh, you don't have stars. Who had stars? You have party down box sets because one Kevin Gonzalez was a PA on that series back when oh, wow. he was actually shooting the first two seasons. Uh, but yeah, I watched the first episode of season three, the reunion episode. I thought it was pretty good. Uh, a lot of setup. Um, very good being canceled for accidentally being a Nazi joke. Uh, but then the final joke of the episode is the one that made me laugh the 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 longest. Uh, which is the first episode, at least of season three, takes place in like early March 2020. <laughs> so all these people have no idea how and bad Ken Marino, about to get for them. Ken Marino's character now finally owns the party down catering company and is so excited <laughs> to get out there and throw parties. Um, and then they time <laughs> jump and he, yeah, it's, it's hysterical, man. I, it is really like returning to old friends in a way I wasn't expecting. Cause I didn't think I was that attached to party down the original two seasons, but Adam Scott just like sliding back into being charming but kind of sad as a wannabe actor now he's an english teacher and ken marino is just like working on a physical comedy level that i don't know if anyone is it, he's he like takes a poop in one of the third or fourth episodes or something and wow so much poop. Funny. we're always coming back to poop i don't know maybe poop is back poop is back guys poop went away but now it's back oh I guess if I had never watched it's if I never watched Party Down like should I watch these new ups like I'm obviously familiar with all these actors like I, think I don't think it's watch. a very high concept to catch up on here's here's the no. better thing I think uh, I don't think you could start here because you do kind of have to know these people like Patches is saying and it is fun to see like a, a pre HBO Martin Star and a pre Glee sure. what's her face basically doing Jane prototypical Lynch. versions Jane of that Lynch, character yeah. Jane Lynch thank you and like a pre Parks and Rec Adam Scott doing like a prototypical version of that character. But Katie, the first two seasons aren't just on stars. They're also on Hulu. Uh -huh. So you could I have Hulu. dip your toe in and see if that's where you want to go. Uh, but then once you want to see season three, yes, stars is going to uh, take your money. But that's OK. I have some money before Yellow Jackets comes back and I got to get the Showtime ad on. That's so true. I'll get a little stars app. Wow. Juggling the services. So that's the how most, we live these the days. The most impressive TV flex on this minute. Speaking of reunion shows and ongoing properties like television, I have a <laughs> like, question like the for art you guys. Of television, an ongoing property. Yeah, the art of television. I have a question for you guys about how some of our biggest franchises are uh, starting to look uh, a little bit uh, worse for wear. I feel like there's a lot of different ways into this. Uh, the first way we came up with it was... Uh, as we're recording this, uh, the Mandalorian season three premieres tomorrow, and a lot of people had no idea that was happening. <laughs> uh, I think because of some late breaking PR or because of a weird ramping schedule, maybe because people uh, got Star Wars out with uh, some lackluster series, or maybe Star Wars in with Andor being so good, why would you go back to the dumb people in masks? I feel all of those things. Uh, but a lot of other things are sort of overlapping that uh, make me wonder... Uh, 
when do, does like a franchise actually end? Here are the things I want to smash all together. Ian Fleming, the the James Bond books are getting rewritten like the Roald Dahl books uh, to take out some uh, offensive uh, wording and characterization. I have no idea how Live and Let Die is going to remain a novel after this, but they're going to try. Wait, uh, why? So what is it Live and Let Die? How how bad are these? How egregious are these books? I don't. I I mean, how do you take out the the toxic part of Bond from Ian Fleming's books and have them? That's a that that's a good question. And Live and Let Die is like what of the hoodoo uh, like went up against oh. James Bond. So like again, I have no idea. Uh, yeah. but uh, the Royal Doll books, for instance, have taken out references to people being like fat and ugly, and you know, left in things like large or uh, frog toad faced. Things like that. Maybe not a huge deal. Uh, but then if you go further up the ladder to things that were actually trying to keep active franchises. Uh, hey guys, th the new Harry Potter game didn't come out without any conflict. And now they're looking to like maybe start. <laughs> we vowed not Cursed to talk about again. this. <laughs> I'm, I'm, saying, I'm moving on as fast as possible. <laughs> now they're pivoting to like maybe uh, making Cursed Child a thing. That's what Warner Brothers wants to do because really? Warner Brothers and Zasloff has, yeah. Yeah, decided to lean fully yeah. they decided to lean fully into IP, so along with that Harry Potter. As if they child, hadn't been doing uh, that before. Exactly. Yeah. News came with news that they uh, are going to reboot Lord of the Rings somehow right. and expand its universe. We don't know how, but uh, I'm a little bit happy that Tom Bombadil now has a better chance of making it to screen because they won't let that world die. And... On the Marvel side of things, Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania now has the biggest second week drop of any Marvel movie ever. Who knows if that means anything because it's still going to outgross things like Black Adam. But I, I DC is going through a pivot. I just like, are, <laughs> is, is this it? Are we, are we living in a the world now times. where I get to pull, <laughs> pull content out of five different buckets and that's like, that's going to be it? If the bucket goes empty, you just have to remix some of the things or shit in the bucket again like i don't know wait i don't know uh, what, when do we call it what you're saying is these these friends no matter how far they fall they will never die is what is that what you're getting at right or like right yes yes like there's the because it needs to be continuous forever uh i I think there's always more of a care of marketing the franchise than there is marketing like any individual part. So the new story I would be interested in is here's a new version of Live and Let Die, but that's obviously not the buzzword. The buzzword is the franchise needs to change. And the reason it does is because if you don't let things die, they can't be a product of their time. So you start looking really dumb mm. trying to sell things with the N-word into 2024 as like a new Daniel Craig movie or whatnot. I think that's what's happening with Roald Dahl. Obviously, that uh, was bought up entirely by Netflix, yeah. so they're softening it so they could uh, bridge into other Netflix projects. But even I think, like, what else did we talk about uh, early on in this podcast? Something like The Addams Family, which started off as a critique of, uh, like, wealthy uh, upper state New Yorkers and now has turned into... <laughs> a Netflix property for teenagers. Yeah, where the, where the uh, creators are like, I see us doing spinoffs where each character gets their own show. Cousin It, standalone Netflix show. Why not? Yeah, who, who doesn't want to watch a character that can't talk and is just a hand? That, that seems fine. <laughs> so I guess my question for you guys is, um, 
already the franchise I've mentioned actually dying. And what does that what does that mean? Does that mean you go away for a little while? Does are there certain franchises you guys can remember that used to be a thing that now we don't talk about anymore? That's what I was just keep in mind. There's a new Hunger Games movie coming. I mean, out we're getting a new Tron year. apparently. So <laughs> yes, is Pirates of the Caribbean dead? They're kicking Pirates the, can. the Caribbean. Yeah, yeah. Because Margot Robbie was, so was going to bring that one back. She was going to be a new pirate, but uh, I don't know if they think they can make it work without Jack Sparrow. Do here's a better question about pirates. Does pirates happen with? It's particularly interesting because uh, Johnny Depp was so important to the pirates franchise working that he became the main character of all the sequels that they did after the core trilogy. And now mm-hmm. Margot Robbie thought she was going to get across the finish line with pirates because pirates was valuable, but maybe not. It's not happening. Is it Johnny Depp? And now that Johnny Depp has like one and seems to be rehabilitating i'm these are air quotes <laughs> my i mean johnny depp would here. require them to pay so much that like uh, but th- they're not gonna put johnny depp in a pirates movie right they can't like there's some sort of conundrum occurring with pirates where it might be what you're talking about dave it might actually die because i don't think you can reboot it without depp but you can't make another one with depp I mean, but that just also means a limited idea of what a Pirates movie was, because if you guys remember, I'm sure you do, because we were all of the age, when the first movie came out, it was like, that's a fucking ride. Mm-hmm. That is not a story. What is this going to be about? And the Pirates movie's like, there's cursed gold that makes you skeletons. We're like, oh, okay. Uh, but I guess t- that's an interesting question about Johnny Depp. If a toxic star could kill a franchise... I immediately Can am taking Harry this Potter back, be- by the way. I, I have found Can- the solution. The solution will be, in a few years, they will give Timmy Chalamet $20 million to play young Jack Sparrow, and they will reboot sure. Pirates of the Caribbean. I mean, he's literally doing it in Wonka Always. right now, which like doesn't, exactly. belong, to, doesn't it, belong to Johnny Depp. But anyway. But it kind of does. Is that, or, a, like, is that a Netflix movie? It didn't occur to me. It must be. It's not a Netflix. It's a Warner movie that is getting like grandfathered in to the netflix <laughs> roll doll deal okay. it's weird all right i wish i didn't know this i can't remember my children's names <laughs> yeah because i remember well, this. it's like we we've sort of seen I, I won't talk about the video game but we have seen fantastic beasts sort of take a nosedive by having some are they making toxic another? stars no because oh, nobody liked the movies like i don't i wouldn't think at this point there's no development on another fantastic beast movie right. in theory the original deal had Five. two more i think yeah. uh so who's the toxic I don't think the star of fantastic i mean i guess johnny depp but they got rid of it and ezra miller well but the flash like all buzz now points to the flash being a hit and being really good like i think the well, ezra the- miller thing is Gonna, it probably yeah, is going to be functional, that, but that's going to crack open the DCU, and then they don't need Ezra Miller anymore. They can be one and done with that movie. Yeah, I mean, I'm still curious to see how much press they let him do and what happens with that press, because I hear that he's rehabilitating, but he did go on a crime spree that included kidnapping. So they they did go on a crime spree, spree that included kidnapping. I apologize uh, for mispronouncing it. was out of force of habit the crime spree uh, was distracting you so much that uh you got the pronouns wrong well i wanted to make sure i got the kidnapping in there because i think a lot of people don't <laughs> didn't forget that part yeah. notable i think that he just notable. like stole 
stole some liquor and got arrested, which was also part of it. Yeah. But like, that's the one I think that hit the franchise. And really, it's it's the kidnapping grooming thing that seems weird. But like, I I think they're going to release the Flash. There's still a bunch of people who are saying that we shouldn't support this sort of toxicity. So I, I guess don't I never think most people know what Ezra Miller did. No. No, I think no, they most have people successfully, don't know anything. <laughs> yeah, most people don't know anything, especially when it comes to like seeing a like very broadly appealing uh, superhero movie. I feel like this is me coming around to being like, don't cancel actors, which is not what I'm trying to say at all. But like the entire point of franchises is that they're supposed to be bigger than one individual actor. And I think, like as we're saying with pirates, like they will do everything they can to keep even the most toxic talent from you know keeping them from making another one. Yeah, I mean, I think toxic talent might be our easiest escape button at this point though because i can't think like obviously if you do a bomb that makes like where you have to write off several hundred million dollars that would probably dissuade you from doing something else but like a lot of our franchises here aren't as super linear as you know we thought they'd be so maybe like you know if if there's another if every Marvel movie becomes the Eternals in terms of black box office, that might be enough I mean, to just pivot and do something else. But Eternals else. did well, well enough. I mean, they'll scale these movies around interest, but Dave, isn't your point yeah. ultimately that this has nothing to do with studios continuing to mine IP, which does frustrate moviegoers, even like us, who... who Love this stuff on on some level. I like I'm I'm in Martin Scorsese's camp and Marvel's camp. I like a roller coaster mm. ride, and then I like to exit the roller coaster ride and go see cinema in the Aren't cinema. You cinema so special. We did get yeah. we did get dragged for being snobs on this podcast last week, but I just want to say I like all the movies. But I isn't the what we're frustrated with really the fact that people will always show up to these movies uh, and, these, not, and these shows. We need to victim blame here. I don't victim know if that blame? Me I'm because, not sure yeah, I'm going to use okay. that term. Yeah, I just like the, uh, I mean, like, I, I, people will go see the movies that they are provided. Like, I don't think the fact that people will still show up for something doesn't oh, mean take Ant Man and the Wasp, Quantumania. I mean, they like, still showed up for it. They did. So why would they stop making them? There's no fatigue. There is no fatigue. They're zombified. I mean, <laughs> There's no interest. What's it? I find fascinating is there is, and as someone who like writes about this stuff and and leads a team that wants to you know, create culture criticism and have conversations about even the biggest Marvel movies. Like there is no interest in continuing the conversations on any Marvel movies. It's really weird. It wasn't happening two years ago, huh. but all of a sudden, like no one actually gives a shit about Black Panther, Wakanda forever. No one actually gives a shit about Ant-Man Quantumania. I don't know if it's because there's so much other stuff. We were just I don't did we mention this in the podcast so far and but it was kind of the impetus of talking about this which is yeah the oh we did the Mandalorian season 3 coming out this week no one knows about it and no one cares but they will watch it <laughs> and then they will forget no one gives a shit it's very well, I weird mean, that's just the doom of trying to teach people about mandalore patches i've seen this happen many years and it doesn't it never works it's not going to work this time but I think like Star Wars is particularly interesting because it's huge. It could be endless, but it keeps being hampered by Disney by being locked in. They don't want to advance the official timeline beyond the sequel trilogy because they don't know what they're doing uh, beyond that. So everything has to be like looped in this little box and it's starting to create the same problems that the original expanded universe had 
or like today John Favreau put in some weird confusion about how many years Luke was with Grogu. And it doesn't matter. What does matter, I think, more to me, and Patches, I guess, more to answer your question, is that there's a difference between showing up for a movie about pirates that has Margot Robbie in it and for Disney's Pirates of the Caribbean with Margot Robbie. Like, there's a difference between liking vampire movies and liking Morbius. Uh, one is just... <laughs> the, the, franchise, the franchise is a property held by a gigantic company that is trying to iterate but still make it recognizable. Whereas something like a property, like, say, Winnie the Pooh, you could get Winnie the Pooh Blood and Honey and you could get weird off-brand experiments like that, much like you get, uh, you know... George Romero taking magic Haitian zombies and turning them into infected capitalism zombies. Like, I think that evolution is possible. Just it doesn't seem possible until you give up the thing that you've beaten into the ground. I'm glad that you use that analogy, because the more I think about this, you know, no franchise will ever die in this era. But we are currently in what I will now call the walking dead era of franchise where these franchises are dead marvel and star wars mm. and all this stuff is dead lord of the rings like yeah you'll bring it back and we'll all see it but it is dead it is no one cares and they are not cultural events when a, when the new star wars series is coming out and no one knows about it it is not an event anymore it is just a walking dead franchise stumbling back into the spotlight and then quickly stumbling back out they will never die but they are not alive and it is depressing in that way where it's like i want to be a, like give me a reason to be excited about this stuff and that's well, why star it... wars was exciting for so long because it would go away and we've had this conversation before it's like dormancy and scarcity creates more excitement there should be enough franchises that a lot of them could go away and Pirates might be that someday, where they like, we figured it out again. Pirates is back. This is why Top Gun Maverick is the number one movie I was just about to bring up year. Top Gun Maverick. Because, like, it proves that, like, you don't have to be, like, the most culturally relevant or, like, hip property or to have, like, done anything to plant the seed. Just, like, make a movie that people get excited about. And, like, Avatar, for all the ways that people talk about those movies not being culturally relevant, people were excited to go see that movie. They continue to be excited Partly because it's got someone making it who cares about it, which is so much of the problem of like yes. Ant-Man and the Wasp and like these, you know, John Favreau cares about these Star Wars things, but like the energy can flag in such a visible way. Um, and James Cameron, for all of his flaws, like loves these Avatar movies and is going to put that in yes. there on screen. And I think we'll talk about this a little next week with Creed 3, a franchise I could not give a damn about. Like I'm not a Rocky guy and I have zero memory definitely saw it but zero memory of creed 2 um and it's a it, the movie comes to life because michael b jordan directed it and gives a big shit about making a great movie and loves naruto and this will make more sense well actually will make no <laughs> sense to katie when she sees it but it makes a lot of sense to a lot of people who, who will see the movie um and again it's like I got to give James Gunn some credit for coming out swinging with the DCU manifesto that they put out in the world. Uh, was that February? My brain is just spinning mm, from all the like, sometime in this year. announcements. But yeah, I mean, like, at least he's leading by saying, I guess we need real people to make these movies, to make them really something that people would want to watch as opposed to 
factory made. Um, and it's weird that he's working for Warner Brothers, which will pump out a Harry Potter television show in the next five years. Um, and maybe someone who gives a shit will make it and it will be good. And, well, and a lot and of like, people will watch it. But like the plans that they keep making, like we're going to we just got the Lord of the Rings rights again, more movies like that doesn't inspire any confidence. Maybe it does to the investors. But like, why would they be excited to know that more shit is being pumped out? I guess it, because it's Walking Dead franchises and people will still see them. People I'm not victim blaming. People should not see movies. I mean, when the Ant-Man, first Ant-Man came out, like, it had exactly what you're talking about. It had a director and Peyton Reed, who was unexpected, and Paul Rudd, who was this very likable movie star. Like, it had that energy behind it. And you can make three movies in a franchise that keep that energy level up, but it doesn't happen very often. Like, it's just, just for a single, small-scale version of that franchise, it's just hard to tell the same story again and again and have that level of energy to it. Do you think Maverick changed, I mean, to wrap this conversation up, because Maverick made so much money, and because Tom Cruise is probably going to do it again with Mission Impossible, I have to imagine the Maverick effect will give this new Mission Impossible movie a boost. Um, what now? I think it's on its seventh, or no, the last one was seventh. This is the eighth Mission Impossible movie Holy since 1996. Um, but do you think that like needing a visionary, and and then the Avatar effect too? Like, will we see uh, these? Walking Dead franchises revitalized by the need for visions that will become more important. It just seems like Disney is even down on Marvel when they're talking about, uh, we have lost the ability to, uh, this is what Bob Iger was talking about on their investor call a few weeks ago, where he's like, we're not eventizing these movies anymore. All you're doing is fucking churning them out. And, mm -hmm. and people don't even know that She-Hulk came out. Moon Knight, remember that? I don't. And I'm Bob Iger. Uh, this is my Bob Iger impression. But like, yeah, Bob Iger says fucking all the time. It's interesting to hear a CEO be like, maybe these should matter more. Uh, that's, maybe what, that's, that's what Joanna, Joanna's been saying forever. Make Star Wars special again. That's been like the drum she's been beating forever. Like The Force Awakens was a massive event that we were all really excited to be part of because it felt special. And like you talking about like bringing passion to these movies, like that's the Marvel thing where they hire some exciting Sundance director and hope they'll bring their kind of zip to it. But the process doesn't allow that to happen. And the overall franchises of it doesn't allow it to happen. You got to make different stories that people can actually tell and tell freely. I think that I'm, I'm not sure that's possible until a franchise's ass started scraping the ground. Because, hey, you create a person, give something a try, we're not going to deal with it, is something you do right before you fucking sell it all. Uh, I hope that's not true. Like, I, I don't know. There is a world, I, I will say this, there is an opposite world where everything's different enough, where everything's an Andor, that I don't mind constant Marvel or constant Star Wars. Like, maybe it doesn't lodge in my brain as much. But I do appreciate the feeling of I'm part of this franchise and therefore like I could catch up, I could dip in, I could dip out. Things like the Fast 10 trailer, starting with like references to like seven other movies, all of them after Fast 5. That's more what I'm worried about, because it's not that those movies aren't being made by people that care. It's that the franchise is cars and they made it work with action and now they're stuck with car action so that in the last fast movie uh ludicrous went to space 
in a car. Like, that's, like, the level of weird e- escalation. And I'm wondering if, like, yeah, is are they more likely to do something like a Pirates movie with Margot Robbie once no one gives a shit about Johnny Depp, Jack Sparrow lore? Or are they going to think that's what they have and are we going to get the Timothy Chalamet reboot the latter. Uh, instead? Because that's what they think it is. Like, if we get a Harry Potter story TV show, like Patches is saying, and I absolutely believe, does it have to be set in the 90s so Harry Potter could be no. just off camera? I think actually Hogwarts Legacy proves that. Uh, Maybe. Pur- purposefully setting it like beyond continuity. And Star Wars is doing this too with the High Republic, which they initiated as books <laughs> and then comics. And then they're doing kids shows, but they're going to do a live action. The Acolyte, the show that Leslie Headland is working on, top tier talent, in my opinion, is set yeah. in a nowheresville, like, let's get away from the Star Wars lore as much as possible. So you, you can tell that uh, some of that is, is changing. They know they need to divest, as Katie has said, like, you can't hang it on one character. You can't hang it on one actor. It has to be a world. And that keeps these franchises that will they will never die they will never die well i like where we're ending up here i like the walking dead franchise thesis i guess my question is katie if there is something dead have are we about to end the age of the geek where i know where that reference came from is no longer helpful like are are we are we going to see reduced engagement on the sixty three Easter eggs you missed in <laughs> Ant Man and the Wasp? What Lost will the eighties Amblin boys do now? I <laughs> mean, fine. Like everyone's into The Last of Us, even though like many people didn't play the game. Like I think there are new things to go obsessive about. Like Yellow Jackets is brand new, and people lost their minds on theories for that. So it doesn't yeah, have to be no, a I massive just, franchise to have that kind still of geek engagement. Out. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see we'll see how much Mandalore we get in season three, but I think they're they got a big bomb in their in their late season there that they uh that no one cares Mandalore. about. Mandalore. Is that yeah. uh related to lore from Star Trek or is that a different lore? Yeah, see lore is a man. Okay. And then his middle initial is D for data. It's man data lore. <laughs> oh, that's his that's his name. <laughs> anyway. Zombie Walking Dead franchises. I like that. I like that as a conclusion. Uh, Stay tuned. We'll talk to you at the end of the year after we see this Hunger Game prequel. Who is this irresistible creature who has an insatiable love for the dead? That does it for this week's show. We'll be back next week. We're going to talk about Creed 3. In the meantime, tell the people who you are. I am Matt Patches, deputy editor over at Polygon. Dot com. I'm on Twitter at Mr. Patches. I'm on Letterboxd at Mr. Patches. And we have a website, fightinginthewarroom.com, where you can listen to us talk. I don't know. What, what, did, what have we talked about? We've talked about television before. I don't know. I'm everything gonna... except Hogwarts Legacy. We, we, we talked about talked everything about except it. Hogwarts Legacy. Uh, I'll say this about Hogwarts Legacy. It has an entire level dedicated to an, like an Edward Gorey aesthetic. I'll give props to the designers. They worked hard on it. <laughs> I've, watched, I've watched someone play it. It looked cool. Uh, I haven't played it. Uh, not talking about it. Not talking about it. And yeah, that's it. Uh, fightingintheworm.com. <laughs> I'm Dave Gonzalez. I should tell you that you could find our other host, David Ehrlich, on Twitter at David Ehrlich. You could find me on Twitter at DA7E. 
You can also find me on the Trial by Content podcast, where by the time you're listening to this, should hopefully be up or coming soon. We're going to figure out what the best zombie movie ever was voted on by you. And you can email us at this podcast at fitwr.podcast at gmail.com with thoughts, feelings, reviews. If it's a review, we'll read it on the show. Uh, and I'm Katie Rich. You can find me at Vanity Fair on the Little Gold Men podcast where we talked about the Oscar shorts this week. There's some really good stuff. Honestly, with you two, I should talk about we should talk about some of the animated ones because um, there's interesting stuff being done. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Katie Rich, K-A-T-E-Y-R-I-C-H. And we're all on Twitter at F-I-T-W-R where, what did I say at the beginning of the show I wanted to hear about? If they liked our rambling mini segments <laughs> uh oh the numbering of the shows actually if you if you care about whether oh. we number our shows or you can answer this week's lightning round question which was in honor of rr being back at theaters what's your dream for how they perform not to not to at the oscar thanks for listening and we'll be back talking to you next week Dollar bills Gold this machine Creates another theme So beautiful They make you Kill I'm done I'm done We're done